Hello, you're listening to Thought Starters, a podcast on the business of creativity. I'm Ellie Stuhler. Joining us in conversation today from the pod at White City Place, Pip Jamison and Nishma Rob. In 2014, Pip Jamieson moved to London from her native Australia to found The Dots, a social network that has in some ways liberated the creative industry from the much more corporate LinkedIn. For International Women's Day in March, they published a list of 150 women who are redefining the creative industries, many of whom, we're glad to say, can be heard on previous episodes of Thought Starters. Nishma Rob is the head of ads marketing for Google and YouTube in the UK and Ireland. And she's a chair of Women at Google UK, an organization that champions women who are working with technology around the world. On the agenda, selling the digital dream, diversity in the creative and tech industries, and whether it's worth trying to predict the future of work. We'll hear from Nishma first. Tell me about Derby. <laughs> uh, well, I was actually in Sheffield to start with. So um, we've just opened our most recent digital garage there, which is it's a, it's an incredible concept. But I suppose it's one to really understand how does this, how is it received and what impact can it have? But the idea behind it is that the, the pace of change and the reality of how many businesses and um, throughout society that need for technology particularly I think actually it's not just businesses but you look at families where parents can feel left behind as their children kind of overtake them with their digital capability so we've created this facility it's effectively a shop it's the first time we've done one like this on the high street where people can come in for free and get digital skills and we have various experts that do run workshops they can do everything from CV writing to helping businesses start up we've even had quite established businesses come in and say what do I do next with my how do I get more customers? How do I get smarter with it? So it's been amazing. I think actually going up there was just watching some of the people come past and their reaction. And their reaction when they came in and they said, uh, what are you selling? And it was like, <laughs> well, we're not actually. We're here to talk about skills. And then there was that moment where when we say it's free, there was this, you know, a moment of suspicion and then just huge amounts of curiosity. And it was just fascinating. Actually, I kind of had an opportunity to kind of sit and listen to some of the people who came in for workshops about their businesses and the questions they ask. And it's just so good to get out of the bubble of London sometimes yeah. and just go and explore what's going on elsewhere. Although I did say connectivity was pretty bad. Oh, no, really? Yeah. <laughs> Not so much in our, in our premise because we've got great Wi-Fi in there. But actually, generally, you just realise we're pretty spoiled and quite used to a 4G lifestyle. And as soon as you go somewhere else and you have to deal with 3G, which is now obviously like totally unacceptable, like you can't even deal with 3G, which is very spoiled. But is a reality about how many people do it? So there's a challenge when you sell people this digital dream and then they get on a device that's not particularly good, potentially, but worse, actually, the connection's poor. Their experience is so different. And it's just like managing selling that dream. And I actually also, while I was there, we had an opportunity to go and just just have a look at other people, how you know how are other people embracing it, and do a little bit of kind of social responsibility work. And actually, I went and spent some time in a, a place, an incredible place, set up by a mother and daughter for refugees and asylum seekers. And this was a real, A, just inspiring to see the love and passion that these two women had put into it. And the daughter was just fantastic, such an assertive young woman bossing us all around. And we got time one-on-one to spend with various people. Some of them didn't want to share 
where they'd come from or their backstory. You know, they were pretty determined about, you know, I don't want to, to be judged or thought about where I come from, but I'm here because I'm trying to make a new life. And again, just getting that insight into the importance of how digital technology, you know, I talked to a parent who was fearful of digital because her daughter was so embraced in it but she knew nothing she couldn't understand and there were others who you know was a lovely lady she was a doctor she was incredibly well qualified but her English was poor and she hadn't really kept up with tech and it's just amazing how enabling Mm. technology is for these people and terrifying how people are being left behind and I think it's so important what you're doing because it's about giving people that accessibility I mean it's funny I saw someone else from Google speak about um, the work that you're doing more in developing countries because you're talking about like 3G being bad but if you're in developing countries oh my gosh like how does that work as well and you're what I do love about the talk was that Google was really caring about that it was like how do we make it work when it is there's not even 3G when it's just like tiny downloads speed so um, I think and I think you know what's fascinating about it because you know as I laugh you know there is that moment of thinking you'll be there just trying to sell some ads or you know I don't know storage or something else bizarre but the reality is and the thing I get really excited about and even just spending time yesterday with the people you know the refugees and asylum seekers was when you put technology in the hands of someone and you realize actually technology is now going into the hands of another several billion people if you think of all the magic that we've had in the last few years by technology being in the hands of the billions that have it, just imagine what we're going to get next. And that's the bit that just excites me because you see, you know, we, I always believe we we build technology, we make things and, you know, creative people, we're there to inspire and do. But actually when you put it in the hands of others, that's when it gets exciting. So for me, I think, you know, there's there's a lot of that passion is what drives a lot of people that, that work yeah. alongside me. That's what I mean. What I loved about watching you at Creative Equals was also talking about how Google allows you to do those passion projects. So how it doesn't say like you have to just do Google stuff all the time that you get that like is it twenty percent? Yeah, you're allowed the twenty percent. And so you spend twenty percent on diversity for Google. So you actually end up doing that twenty percent for Google, but that was your choice, right? Yeah, that's yeah. it. Was that's my passion? Yeah. You know, it was my real passion project. And I felt that something I could make a meaningful impact both within Google, but more importantly outside of Google. And perhaps I think my own personal journey to, um, I suppose, a point of realisation of the importance of trying to make that change. It was actually something that probably came quite late to me. And maybe therefore there's a degree of impatience. I feel like I need to catch up and do lots more. But even within the time I've um, been at Google and championing particularly women at Google, actually my own personal journey through that's changed. So I currently chair of Women at Google, which is our community group originally set up by Sheryl Sandberg, really to focus on the progression and development and diversity of our workforce. And that community group has evolved to to several chapters around the world and lots of our women and has, you know, external focus as well. A lot of that focus has been around improving diversity in engineering Mm -hmm. because our numbers of women in engineering is still, you know, woefully low improving but woefully low for the industry and how do we really do it and that's a generational shift that requires lots of effort but actually the journey I've been on through that both career and just my realization is actually there are some other bigger challenges we need to face as well and I think the one that I look at most is around how I can travel on a train and the train is I travel from one part of London to another part of London so I go through lots of different areas you see lots of different people and you see a genuine reflection of life and society and then I walk through the doors of the of my business or, or others 
It doesn't look anything like the journey I've just had. And for me, it's around how do we reflect that reality? Because actually, if we can hold a mirror up to the reality of the world we live in, we'll actually, by almost byproduct, look at things like gender equality, ethnicity, ability, etc. And it's almost like, do we need to focus on inclusivity and diversity in a broader sense? Which means I haven't lost my passion for, for gender, but I just feel it's a part of that needs to be considered across all of it. And it, yeah, and it's so much about role models as well. So yeah. I've had this fascinating thing happen with the docs. When we launched here, we literally had a very white male sign up. Nothing against white males, love them. But it was really interesting to see that demographic start building. And actually, that's sort of what happened on LinkedIn. And then we just did a really simple hack. So on the featured section, it always has to be over 50% female, always have to be 30% BAME. And the sign-up switched overnight. And it was like people came to the site and suddenly saw role models, I can be that person, or if she can, I can, or if he can, I can. And it was just, it's fascinating how it's, if you start the ball rolling, it can change things really quickly, but it's getting that ball rolling in the first place. Um, and it is, as you say, it's the impact of yeah. how, and, and for me, I think that's the thing. This is, it's a long, this is a long-term game. Yeah. And if you're impatient, as I am, I need to do things that I can see a more immediate impact. And so for actually that power of role modelling, both in my own personal life, so with my kids, so I have Anishka and Oscar, my twins, a little girl, a little boy. Interesting, that whole nature-nurture piece and how they're inspired. And a responsibility to bring up not just empowered and, you know, I suppose, fire little girls that believe they have all the opportunities well, but also a, a little boy who has the same passion but responsibility and recognising and wanting to live in a fair world. And my daughter has always been, you know, she's very girly. She's very, had been perhaps, I would say, her opportunity to see what could be was limited to the references shared. So it, all the good work I was doing was almost, in some respects, being hampered by the media or the... The, the connections she may have had elsewhere. And I bought this book for her because I'd seen it and was totally inspired by this idea of um, role modelling. But actually, how do you explain role modelling to a little girl? And she does her own role models. So Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls is a fantastic book. It was, it's, the most, it's the most highly funded book on Kickstarter. And actually now I saw that Melinda Gates has been raving about it and everyone's really talking about the impact of this book and it's gone global. But when I bought this book for, for Anushka, I think she was probably about six when I gave it to her, and... She wasn't like, she didn't really get the whole point. It was like stories. Yeah, great, mum. She likes stories, but it's like, it's another book. But she was totally drawn by the illustration. She's, she's a very creative little girl and, and will draw endlessly. So it was great. That's kind of what hooked her in. And the way that the book's made up, it's a page per incredible woman and not just historical figures, but, but from every type of walk of life. And she started to read these and then she'd fight with her brother then because he kind of got hooked on it. And they'd read these every night. And we went through this whole phase, and we still do, every night. And she'll come and she'll say to me, I decided I'm going to be a motocross rider. <laughs> and I'm like, great, where did this come from? And she was inspired by this wonderful lady called Amy Johnson, who's an incredible uh, motocross rider who's actually deaf, and she overcomes her challenges and has been very successful. Next day, she wants to be a scientist, she wants to be something else. And it's just wonderful how that world of possibilities opened. But for my son, and that perhaps this is just something I had totally overlooked and hadn't thought about, was actually how he viewed the world mm -hmm. and his passion just to hear those stories, but actually that, of course, anyone can be anything. And then when you take that model into the workplace, that's when it's fascinating because my frustration about the, it's not just a fairness thing about holding a mirror up to the world, but my biggest worry about creativity is we're killing it. 
because we're we're living in almost like a little microcosm of culture now because we're all from, you know, everyone's from a similar point in time and cultural reference that all the stuff that's out on the fringe just isn't getting reflected and how's it being influenced. So for me, it's actually around how how we continue to to be fair and to, to be wonderful. But that idea of magic that I talked about earlier when you put technology into people's hands, but if you only put it into the hands of a few or only a few are responsible for telling the stories and shining a light on great people, then what about the rest of it? So... And I experienced that firsthand at MTV. It was so terrifying to watch because it just got to the point where the easiest people to hire for MTV was just through word of mouth and it was friends of friends. But what actually started at MTV is because we weren't getting that fresh injection of ideas and skills coming into the business, the whole creative output just became really samey. And that was the jackass era. (laughs) 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 And it's just really dangerous because if you're not bringing those new ideas to the table, the creative output is just going to go stale and that's what is worrying. I mean, as a tech founder, I find that worrying watching the valley where it is like this kind of elite few of sort of 20 to 30-year-old guys who are building the products of the future. But then, I mean, I'm terrified of what robots are going to come out, of what those robots are going to be. Are they going to, what kind of women are we going to produce? But if we're not getting that fresh injection of ideas and skills coming in, we're not, we're not seeing it change. But what I do love about the startup scene here is I think when I started the business, there were so many, well, there weren't that many women to look up to. So you had like... Like Catherine Parsons running Decoded. You had, you know, Martha Lane Fox of lastminute.com, but there weren't many women leaders in tech companies. But what I'm loving about going to startup events here now is it is just a sea of women and it seems to be changing from a grassroots, definitely not changing from an engineer perspective yet, but I think there is much more engagement of female tech founders coming through, which I think is really it's, exciting. It is so refreshing. Yeah. And, and I think even actually just looking at that bravery I think in terms of you know sometimes women who don't necessarily have the engineering skills but recognising that they could lead a tech startup and have the skills to be able to lead a business like that and find the engineers to be able to bring them on that journey that's when you know that we're making that shift and change I think what I want, you know, and it's not necessarily universal, but for a lot of the people I meet, is actually the responsibility they carry around wanting to make sure that whether it's role modelling to younger generations or about making sure we don't leave anyone behind, it's that passion. You know, because it is recognition that it's education, it's the investment we make in developing people, but it is inspiring wonderful people like yourself who's genuinely changing the world we live in. And I think it's easy to... You know, in a world where we talk about billions and we talk about everything's awesome, it's quite easy to underplay the impact that people like yourself and those other incredible tech women that you talked about, you know, people like Catherine Parsons and Martheline Fox, what an impact they're having. You're listening to Thought Starters with Pip Jamison, founder of The Dots Social Network, and Nishma Rob, chair of Women at Google UK and head of ads marketing for Google and YouTube in the UK and Ireland. It's so funny because actually I experience unconscious bias sometimes myself doing it as well. So it's so funny because a lot of my team, the engineering team, we're desperately trying to get you know to 50-50 male, female. We're not there quite yet. Um, we're having to recruit. Google keeps stealing all the good women. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're recruiting women young and training them up. But, okay, um, <laughs> but I'll notice with the, with the team that they'll build stuff subconsciously for themselves. So um, on a 
very simple note, we were doing a presentation and they gave the presentation back to me with sort of some animations of the site and they just showcased all the men on the site. They actually didn't put in women. However, the other day I got caught out where I put together a presentation and I only put in women. And so you need that mix and that's on a very base level of how that unconscious bias works. But you don't realise it. And I, I notice because I do, I kind of go on and jump on and feature people and suddenly someone will give me a rap on the wrist. They're like, Pip, have you seen the featured list? It's like 80% women. I'm like, okay, right. I've got to reel it back again. But it is funny how just that's a really simple level. But then when you go into deeper tech, it, it has a huge impact. But you are so right. It's not just about gender. And I think it's more important to make sure that we're focusing across the board as well. And that's that's socioeconomic background. That's also, you know, it's it's race. It's everything. It, like it's got a, we can't just focus on the gender mm. side of things. And I, and I think, you know, us amongst many others, I think the, the challenge is, is when, you know, we're not necessarily, I perhaps still come from a generation of rebels and delinquents. Um, my worry is that the, when I particularly look at some, some of our younger workforces, um, we're not picking those. We're not picking the rebels and delinquents. We're picking the, the, the elite kind of creme de la creme from an education point of view. Whereas actually, you know, I need that mix. Um, you know, I need that tension and I want that conversation if we're going to create great work, but also to be genuinely reflective of all different types of ideas and discover new things. I think I, the one thing I, you know, still troubles me and I probably still get asked a lot is businesses are aware of it. There's no doubt about it. Everyone recognises there's financial and commercial gain from it. There's responsibility and there's a genuine honest need and desire to do it but I still see that what do I do next and as you said actually sometimes it is simply focusing on that one thing you know or saying actually let's not we're all so polite we're going all like next time could you mind hiring slightly different no it's like no let's be really impatient and have no tolerance and really force force it something it's hard it's really hard for business and I get that but it's we kind of just need to keep you know calling it out and supporting and doing it because with all the companies we're working with at the moment we're trying to push the you have to have a diverse mix at second interviews it's harder to necessarily because everyone says about you know it should be the best people that get the job but it's very hard to say the best person's getting the job if you're not getting a really diverse crew coming through to actually interview at second level and it is harder to find necessarily saying right it has to be 50-50 male female it has to be over 30% BAME we're getting to second interview and it might be harder to find those people but the long term game for the business is so much longer I mean is uh, I mean, is that one step too far to, for Google to go to? I mean, have I you have you discussed it? I think it? we need to. I think I mean, actually, one of the things that we need to, uh, amongst others, is we need to reframe what success is. Mm. So when you're saying, you know, finding the best candidate and actually, you know, how they're qualified for the job, is is how much do we focus on the behaviours and the failures? Because actually, I think there's so much more to be learned about an individual and what they might contribute is from their failures and their behaviours but yet we still focus on you know the best scores and the best examples and what that tells us and until we can perhaps you know almost kind of recode our brains to rethink what would be the ideal candidate and I think particularly in a creative world we need that we almost need to say well you know if we for example we were to recruit people simply on their failures Could that, would that be able to shift things? And would that create an encouragement for people to be more honest and more truthful? But for us to spot the behaviour rather than the glossed, you know, examples. And, I, you know, through our recruiting process, we do try to go deeper to the behaviour. But I still feel that we're conditioned. You know, we're conditioned from the world of two-page CVs. It's like the next thing from two-page CVs is this glossed portfolio yeah. of success that maybe masks yeah. the bit where... 
I'd quite like to tell someone to tell me where they, you know, went wrong with it. Do you know what? The best hack, though, you have done, actually, you got one of my engineers. He did a search for um, basically just looking up some advice around a code and suddenly a pop-up appeared on Google saying, take this test. And then it like siphoned him to take this test. And then if he passed the test, he'd go on for Google. And I was like, you are not allowed to take that test. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think, I mean, I'm part of this. I don't, have you ever heard of Dream Nation? It's this amazing group that's based out of Clapham and it's, it's run by a guy called Claude. And he has this mantra in life where you are the average of the five people you hang out with most. And these are kids from different types of backgrounds who, I mean, it's wonderful going to the group because none of them have ever known anyone who's worked in tech or the creative industries. They don't know anyone that's worked in Shoreditch. You know, they're aspirational kids, but they've had very, very different backgrounds. And so his whole mantra is let's get kids together who want to have a different way of life and let's all support and help each other. And it's just magic to see those sort of groups grow. But then you're right, if Google's only looking for people with Oxbridge degrees, which obviously is starting to change, then how do you find those kids? Because those kids aren't the kind of kids that at school would have been given that option to go into Oxbridge. Um, What I've loved about, by the way, working with your team is um, they are totally hacking it because people in the creative team have started just using the dots direct instead of going through your recruiters (laughs) because they've been sending them Oxbridge grads. I think, but that's my thing yeah. for me, you know, in all honesty, it's, you know, that's where the revolution needs to happen mm. because, you know, I kind of joke about the two-page CVs and the role of a recruiter. We need people like yourself who will actually encourage but also find, I think the reason why people are coming direct to you is because you have got that pool of talent, you know, you've got that talent there. I think the hand-holding you can give to businesses around the bravery required to find someone who's not atypical of, of the person that they'd hire and why they should do that. And then, but but also actually some hand-holding around how you manage somebody like that because it's one thing slotting these people in, but actually if they're not given and they're not in the environment or have the leadership around them to allow them to succeed, then this will be a horrible experiment that fails, you know, way too fast. So I think actually this for me is like the next phase that we need to accelerate and really get people talking about because... There's not a lot of business, there's, you know, certainly not a lot of recruitment, people who have the expertise, the sensitivity, the understanding of what's needed to support the industry with that talent. And that, for me, that's the missing bit, because for all the goodwill in the world, unless there's a more an easy and obvious solution, it's nothing more than just a desire. No. And it's funny, I mean, because, you know, obviously diversity is one thing. I think also it's the demographic shift. And we've, we've spoke about it when we were at Creative, Creative Innovation, but it's that shift that's also happening on how people want to work now. So it's kind of that shift towards portfolio careers. So what is it, like 43% of 25 to 35-year-olds in the US have more than one job. Um, you've got, like, the rise of the gig economy. So it's also that more flexible way of working, which is, I think, why it fascinates me at Google that you have that 20% rule. How does that work? Does that mean anyone can work 20% on anything they want to or does it have to be Google related or what are the sort of projects that people do? I think it's about following your passions, you know, so it could be anything from, you know, ultimately you want it to help Google in some way, but it's not necessarily in a commercial way or, you know, the engineers work on all sorts of things. You know, engineers particularly want to take big, hairy, difficult, really difficult challenges and find ways. Those challenges aren't necessarily even in our, you know, even in our, our plan or our our vision of some things that we want to do but that's the whole point 
It's about taking difficult things, solving them. So long as they stay true to our values there. In other parts of the business, it's about people following their passions and discovering their strengths and their abilities. And the reality is, is the working model has traditionally been you go through a series of jobs until you find what you're really good at and then you settle. This idea of the gig economy or the idea of being able to follow more of your passion and, and, you know, I see so many people look at that blend who want to work and they look at starting businesses, etc. I do think that comes back to probably being one of the, you know, kind of the age old, you know, ideas that really we're not, as people, we're not conditioned to be good at everything. We are born, and from children, it's the, you know, it is the failing of the, of the education system that we force our kids to be great at everything and test the hell out of them and when do they ever get to be curious and wonderful whereas the reality is we are born with strengths mm. and why can't we lean into those strengths and just be amazing at them and I think what I love about the way that the world is changing the way that world of work is changing is it's actually recognising that and isn't that great isn't that such a liberty that you don't beat yourself up going I'm really crap at that however if my children listen to it it's very important that they're very good at everything <laughs> Yeah, it's so funny because my fa- you know, my the, the profiles I love most and the dots are the ones where they're following their passion. Like people ask for like, you know, work advice all the time from me and it is, it's about following your heart. And you can really see that in a profile where someone's, you know, the, if they're a writer, they're writing for loads of people, they're starting their own magazine, they're doing their own zine, they're doing just whatever they can to kind of get that across. And I think that's so important. And watching that evolution of skills that also happen when you're working on different passion projects and then also the excitement that you can bring back to your job like I mean there's an amazing creative a female creative ECD who works at Grey and she works at Grey but she also runs a sweet empire and it's amazing and she's like I've, I you know I learn as much from running that business and enjoying that business that I can then bring back to what I do at Grey and I think that's such a wonderful way that the world is starting to work and I guess it's something that sort of keeps me up alive, and I do a lot of reading around like the future of work is you know with entering this age of automation we don't really know what's coming and I sat on a panel with The Economist recently and it was very much around you know what what should we be training the kids of the future but the thing is we don't really know what we really know is that they have to be adaptable and they have to be you know constantly learning but what I love about if you're following your heart and you're doing passion projects you are kind of consistently doing I guess what you love but also if you're learning new skills that you can evolve and keep building from because to say someone should just be a coder these days I mean we could automate code in 25 years so but that's that's why those core skills you know so I you know not necessarily the core subjects Mm. but the skills you know and and that's why a curriculum that's devoid of art and creativity as it is today um it is, you know, a huge worry. I love, um, do you know Nick Corston and his, uh, his, oh, you have to meet Nick, Nick Corston and his incredible STEAM project. So STEAM, putting the A into the STEM, STEM being brilliant. arts. And he is on a mission and making a significant difference with, and this is someone who's really following his passions and going to schools and lobbying governments and lobbying opinion formers and decision makers around the importance of arts and creativity for kids because actually this isn't this is you know we need we are going to end up in a few years with having a lot of kids coming out of education without ever having experienced that art and creativity and we need that in that balance with science and actually even say I would say someone people would look at Google and think well you know why does Google really care about arts and creativity we, we see it's balance you know you need the art and the science and so and, and also I think actually for personal development and I think particularly as we face increasing challenges around well-being art and creativity 
for children and through their education and to explore those passions is so important. Mm. And there's so much research and proof now to talk about how actually more of that balance helps with well-being. And, and therefore, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big believer of, you know, following your strengths, of having that balance and, and really thinking more constructively around redesigning for future. And I think the, the biggest, and it is, you're right, you know, who knows? There's something, it's amazing stat, isn't it, around, um, so in the past where progression in a career was around, you know, years of service, whereas now it's actually your learning capability mm-hmm. and the fact that actually you need to reskill every few years and have a genuine passion to learn, which is, you know, all about growing and, and everyone should be learning all the time. But it's the idea, we don't know what's coming. And for me, the most important thing is that mindset. Mm-hmm is having that growth mindset to say, well, actually, you know, I'm not going to be fearful of what's coming next. I'm just going to embrace it. And that doesn't mean you do it without guidelines, without responsibility. But I do genuinely think that that what will determine kind of success or failure in the future will be those who have the mindset to embrace change and opportunity versus those who are just totally fixed beyond like, this is what I'm good at and this is what I can do. Yeah, that linear sort of one job career is just just gone. And you're so right about the creativity side. I mean, you you know, there's three things that algorithms can't do so well. That's like common sense, feeling empathy and that human capability to be creative. And so having it, it's, it's terrifying that it's been ripped out at that young age now because, you know, I'm a big fan of Ken who basically yeah. says, you know, creativity is as important as literacy and it really is because if you're not if you're not learning to be creative and coming up with creative ideas, that's going to be a real challenge yeah. in the future. And as you say, it's that skills, it's actually learning to learn. Yeah. Um, which is Continuous possible. learning. That was Pip Jamieson, founder of The Dot Social Network, and Nishma Rob, chair of Women at Google UK and head of ads marketing for Google and YouTube in the UK and Ireland. This has been Thought Starters, recorded at The Pod at White City Place. Thought Starters is a DNN Co. project for White City Place, produced by David Michon, recorded by George McDonough, and edited by Claire Crofton. To find out how you can record your own podcast at White City Place, find us at whitecityplace.com, on Twitter or Instagram at whitecityplace, or shoot us an email at podcast at whitecityplace.com. And subscribe to Thought Starters on iTunes, Acast, and Stitcher. Give us a rating and write us a comment. It really helps people find this podcast. We'll see you next time. 